My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Um, I actually get to see you. I'm sitting in church like uh, Jerry Montiel, front row. I get to see you and your family and the Bjorkies and Rita. So good, um, so good to see you guys. And it's great to be together this morning. We are in the series, Summer in the Scriptures. And what's so fun about this series is that we... Um, we just go through the scriptures. And when you go through the scriptures, you're, you have to just wrestle with the scriptures that you were given. And so last week, Jeff, of course, preached a brilliant and passionate passage of one of my favorite passages of scripture. And this week um, I saw what was in front of me and uh, started sweating through my shirt. And so we are going to be talking about honoring the king. How's that sound? That sounds fun and relevant for today. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, if I happen to step on a landmine and blow myself or you up, feel free free to email me at ben at valleybaptist.com. All right. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but um, for me, I, um, I, I really struggled this week. Um, on Monday, we got the news that uh, the coronavirus was out of control and that we are um, closing back up. And even though we couldn't be together as a church, as a church staff, we were starting to get back into a rhythm of being together and sharing a little bit of more life together. And all of a sudden, money that got wiped out. And we didn't know how far reaching the, the, the controls were going to be, but we knew that our time in the office was, was coming to an end. And then on Friday, we find out that our kids aren't going back to school. And we knew that we, they were warming us up to it, but we found out on Friday that they're not going back to school. And as a parent of teenagers and probably of elementary school kids, you're like, are you kidding me? And so I already had this like angst inside of me and, 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 and wrestling inside of me. But the reality is, is that just added weight to this growing, um, I don't know, angst, I guess, um, dissatisfaction inside of me because I'm not exactly sure what to do. I know as a citizen, I can't go to the office and I know that I can't, uh, my kids can't go to school, but as a Christian, as a pastor, as a Christian leader, where's this tension? How do we be good citizens and yet also have, be the people that God's called us to be? And truthfully, I didn't think about it that much until last week, or maybe it was a week before that, a friend of mine called me and said, did you hear that the governor said there's no more singing in church? And I was like, whoa, actually I didn't hear that because as you know, we haven't gathered as a church. And so I didn't even think that, I, that did not cross my radar at all. I said, yeah, I have a leadership team meeting tonight and we are trying to wrestle with, are we gonna sing in church? And I said, well, hold on, let's, let's back up a little bit. You're in church singing together? What world are you living in? Because he's in California and he's like, no, no. Turns out everybody in California, except for Marin County, and San Francisco County got to gather in church in small, socially distant ways, but they still got to gather. And I felt this thing rise up in me where I was so frustrated. I could not believe that why is Marin County, the one county in the whole state that someone said, no, you guys don't get to gather. And so I wrestled with, man, okay, as a citizen, this is how it's, I'm supposed to be. But as a Christian, as a pastor, at what point do you stand up and say, enough is enough? Well, that's my angst that in one small example, but the truth is we live in a very broken world and all of us can name a bazillion examples of the ways that our society, our government, our cultural institutions are doing things in an unjust manner. And we as Christians have to wrestle with what is the godly response? So the truth is all of us love howling at the moon. Me, I love it the most. I find few things more fun than just yelling at the news and wishing someone would call me so I could tell all the answers. I want to howl at the moon. I want to cry about all the injustices. But that is that the world being broken and full of unjust systems, that's normal. That is like overwhelmingly in scripture. That is the picture that we get. But the real question is, 
How do we as Christians, as those called by God to be followers of Christ, how are we to live in this world? How do we take all that inner angst, all of those challenges and actually transform them into godly action? And by God's grace, this is the week that I get to preach. This is the week that we actually get to look at how to do exactly that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And let's read this together. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles or as foreigners and sojourners to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. I love the way that Peter begins this passage. He says, listen, as foreigners, as exiles, as sojourners, like the, the, the recognition is that this world is not our home. And I think too often we try to make this world our home and we get so upset when this world is not our home, as opposed to the realization that we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God and we are sojourners. We are passing through this world. And Peter says, more than just sojourners, more than just passing through, you are exiles. And be as exiles, there's a way in which you live. And I love this word of exile because all over scripture is this picture, right? We see in in, uh, the book of Daniel uh, at 587 BCE, um, the Babylonians came in and conquered Jerusalem and they took all these Jewish people from Jerusalem into Babylon. And the Jewish people had a couple different ways they could respond. They could, they could revolt and they could push back against the government and the empire and say, no, we're not going to do anything. We're going to honor God and we're going to fight to the death to honor God. And they did, they fought to the death and they were obliterated. Or there were Jewish people who said, man, okay, you conquered us. We're going to assimilate. We're going to live like the Babylonians and all things. And they got absorbed into Babylon. But Daniel lived this really unique tension. Daniel listened to the words of Jeremiah who said, listen, you are to settle in. You are to pray for the common good and for the well-being of Babylon. You are to plant vineyards and to make homes and to make a life in Babylon as exiles. And there's this weird tension that Daniel was asked to live in and the people in Babylon were asked to live in. They were supposed to be loyal and live within the parts of the government that they could live in, but they're also to be subversive and there were certain boundaries that they wouldn't go. So you know the the story of uh, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they said, you must kneel to this God. And they said, no. So there were certain boundaries that they wouldn't follow, but for the most part, they changed their clothes. They changed their customs. They found some way to live in this tension of both loyalty um, and, uh, and subversion. And Jesus does the exact same thing. Jesus shows up on the scene under Roman oppression in a, with unjust systems in an unjust world in oppression. And he finds this way to be loyal. He says, listen, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But yet at the exact same time, he declared himself to be king. When Caesar's Lord, he said, no, his followers said, no, Jesus is Lord. And that, that tension put um, his followers in all sorts of challenge, in challenging situations. And that's really what I think we are invited to do. We have to live in this tension. We need to recognize that we are exiles. This is not our home. We are followers of Christ. We are citizens of heaven and we are to live as exiles. So how do we live longing for the common good, being loyal to this system and finding ways in which we can live within it for the common good and yet be subversive so that we can be about the kingdom of God and subversively expand the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And unfortunately, Christians have not done a good job of this because you would know we'd be doing a good job because when people say, hey, what do you think of Christians? Instead of saying, oh, they're judgmental and they're hypocritical, which is like what everyone always says. If they said, man, those Christians, 
We love having them around. They make every room they walk into better. They make every, every place they volunteer better. Every system they jump into, they make better. They, they believe weird things, which is true. We believe weird things about Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. So people should be upset with us by our weird beliefs, but not by our weird actions. Because the whole purpose of living in exile is to live in a way that honors God and is actually has a posture towards evangelism, a posture that allows people to smell the fragrance of Christ and move towards Christ. So Jesus always calls us to this higher ethic. And so when he calls us to this higher ethic, Peter then goes on and shares a really challenging teaching. He says this in verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend uh, and to commend those who do right. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Boy, this is a brutal teaching because how do you know how far to submit to the king? And it goes on at the end of this, right? It says to, to love the family of believers, fear God and honor the emperor. So this wasn't like some mythological honor the king. This was honor the emperor, honor the emperor Nero. Nero, who did one of the most brutal persecutions of Christians in the whole early world. Um, this is the person that we are supposed to honor. This is the person that we are supposed to submit to. Now, partly um, we're supposed to do that because without any government institution, without any government structure means that there is total anarchy. So while a government structure and institution is full of unjust things, full anarchy is just death and destruction for everybody. And so there is this weird tension that we're supposed to live in. And this is something that Christians have wrestled with for all of human history. Um, what's interesting is there's been people who's, who found ways to um, to, to put their faith into practice and say, I can be a good citizen. So I need to go and be in the military and fight a just war. Other Christians have said, you know what? If I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I'm going to be a pacifist or a conscientious objector. And if me following Christ means I can't enter these systems at all. In the last hundred years, there's been a whole range of ways in which Christians have chosen to engage in the unjust systems that we live in and that are a part of. Um, my favorite example is in the 1960s, 50s and 60s in the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King. And, um, and, um, and, and what's interesting is in that whole movement, they chose to use their words and said, listen, you say you believe in the Declaration of Independence. You say that we're a Christian nation. And then the leaders of that movement chose to then basically shame the rest of the country and say, you are not living up to these ideals. And what they did is they, they did nonviolence resistance, which means they, they didn't obey all the laws but they lived in such a way that they were upright. And then they found laws that, that showed the in unjust laws in which they lived. And then when the rest of the world saw that the way that they were treating, um, right, the, the, that um, movement got more and more momentum until um, the Civil Rights Act was passed and the Voting Rights Act was passed and all sorts of laws that were trying to make, um, trying to make up for all the injustices of the Jim Crow era. So that's one way of doing it. Um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer had a whole different approach. Um, during World War II, as, as Hitler was rising in power and the German church was trying to find this tension of how do we be the German church and be faithful? And the government gave them some space to do that. But then they were finding the government taking more and more space. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote the, probably the most incredible book on discipleship of all time, he comes up with a plan that he's going to be part of this coup to assassinate Hitler. Now, it's pretty hard to read scripture and go, 
man, the Bible says to honor the king, but to follow him. So I'm going to assassinate Hitler. But Bonhoeffer and his grouping of people found a way. They said, this is how we are actually going to go and live that. I think that's a pretty extreme thing. But Bonhoeffer, and we look back in history, and I think Hitler probably deserved it for sure. You can email me about that later. Um, But so you see these two extremes. You see how Bonhoeffer said, man, this is how I want to live in an unjust world. I want to fight back against the system, literally. And Martin Luther King said, no, we're going to be subversive in the way in which we fight back. When I think of our current moment, what's interesting in the last 20 years, we live in a political process where we get to vote. And there's been political action committees and action groups that have helped leverage Christians' voices. So if you're more conservative, you had Focus on the Family who leveraged um, the voices of more conservative-minded people to advocate and to, um, to, to, legis- to change legislation. If you're on the more of a, a liberal or progressive side, you had uh, sojourners that would advocate and, and, and be advocates for the more progressive agenda. But those were Christians who said, hey, this is the way the government system works. And so we are going to be in the system to try to change the laws. And now we live in a time where I feel like everyone's getting more and more frustrated. And because they're getting more and more frustrated, right? That's why we see things like people just protesting more and more or prayer vigils more and more, because it's mostly a sign that the system just isn't working. And so what do we do? We have to just shout and yell or be quiet and pray. And so I give you that whole range just so that you know, Christians have wrestled with this passage of scripture differently in different times and in different seasons. And every grouping of Christians has to wrestle with how in the world do we live as exiles? How are we called to live in a way that honors God and lifts up the name of Christ and is a good witness to Jesus Christ? And so when it says honor the king, we have to find the, the center of the Venn diagram, the place where we can live most fully as, as people to live for the common good, to plant homes, to plant vineyards, but also pray. I love that Daniel, he prayed earnestly that God would come and judge the Babylonian empire. And God did, but brought another oppressive empire and another impressive empire until Jesus finally did come. All right, I got one more little passage of scripture, which I'm going to thank Jeff for later, which this is the, probably the most abused passage of scripture in modern history. Um, and so we're just going to take a quick look at it. Um, in verse 18, it says this. So right, it says, live as exiles, obey the king. And then he begins a specific teaching. He says, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. What a brutal uh, passage of scripture and a passage of scripture that you can just tell from our own history, right? Has just been abused, has been used to be a giant sledgehammer to keep those who have been marginalized and oppressed and who are slaves to be continuing to be slaves. Hey, follow God, obey the law of the land, continue to be slaves. And so I I started thinking, and, and here's the question I just wanted to pose. Who gets to ask you to submit? Peter in this situation said to the slaves, man, you must submit to your masters. And now Peter is not saying, hey, slavery is an awesome institution and this is how it's going to work in God's world. The idea is that we live in a broken world, in an evil world, it with systems that are not about the things of God. And we have to figure out how do we live in this moment? And in this moment, there were slaves and there were masters. And the and it's totally, this version of slavery was actually dramatically different than the slavery that we experienced here in America. That was chattel slavery and racial slavery. But the slavery here is saying, listen, even you slaves, you must live in this way. And so the question is, who gets to ask you to submit? Now, 
I would contend that very powerful people do not get to use scripture to tell less powerful people to submit. That's not how the story of scripture goes. The story of scripture doesn't say, I have power and authority. This is what the Bible says. You need to follow me and make my life better and your life worse. That, that testimony has hurt the church. It's crushed the church. It's partly why we're in the situation we are today. But Peter, I think, gets to say this because Peter was Jesus' best friend. He was the number one disciple. And Peter wasn't like the way that we imagine the Pope who's just building a kingdom of him, for himself and to, and to esteem himself. Peter was actually on his way to Rome to be martyred. He was on his way to death. He was already on the bottom. And I think when you are on the bottom, we get an opportunity to talk to those who are on the bottom with us. And if you're in a position of power, you get an opportunity to speak to those who are in a position of power as well. But the number one thing that we can never do is to leverage spiritual power to crush those who don't have a power or don't have a voice over us. So who gets to ask you to submit? Well, I'm telling you right now, we don't get to ask people without power to submit we get to ask ourselves to submit. We get to say, God, how do I submit to you more and more? And we get to submit to one another. And that is a challenging, challenging thing. And so I have two quick questions for you to be thinking about as I've been wrestling with this. And one is this, how are you gonna live opposing institutional structures of oppression while honoring God and being a good witness for Christ? That really is the tension because as Christ followers, as people who are living with this tension of being loyal and subversive, we can't fully embrace this world and we can't fully reject this world, but we have to live in opposition to these institutional structures of oppression while honoring God and being a good witness. And I think the one way to, to, to calibrate that is, are we living in a way that is in line with, with Christ's values of humility and full of fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is something that God's been really wrestling with me. So this is more of a correction towards me, not for you, but if it applies to you, then that might be helpful as well. But to recognize that our hope is not in the political process and our hope cannot be in our political leaders. We live in a democracy and we have power and we have a voice and we think we, and we've kind of tricked ourselves that we actually have a way to make the world better through the political system. And we get to lean into that partly, but it is not our hope. For our hope is in our true King, Jesus Christ, in whom we long to honor and serve and to represent in all things. And so here's the, my last question is this, everybody is watching us. And if everybody is watching us, what are they going to see? How are those outside the church viewing us as people who claim to be followers of Christ? How are they watching us live? Are we living in a way that is loyal to the things that we can agree to, but are subversive to the things that are outside of God's uh, character? What is our testimony? How do we make those decisions? Well, um, to, to go back to my very first story, I want to shout at the moon, shake my fist. I want to get everybody to come to the church and I want to worship Jesus as a protest movement. And if a third of our church dies, it's the Lord's will. Am I right? Give me some snaps. 
Okay, everyone's shaking their head. All right, you're right. That's probably not the right testimony because the truth is we live in Marin County. We live in a post-Christian county. We live in a post-Christian context. And so for us to shout at the moon and to be subversive in a way that just shines a light and saying things in a Christian way to people who don't understand the first thing about Christ is gonna be a disaster. And so we have to be wise. We have to listen to the body of Christ and we enter in gently to say, how do we honor God? How do we maximize the freedoms that we do have so that we can honor Christ, but also push back a little bit on the places that are unjust? And I was, I was really confronted by this because like I said, I wanted to just go, I wanted to be rebellious all the way through and let Marine Covenant kill half of its members for the sake of Christ. But Jeff was really good. Jeff talks me off the ledge all the time and, and reminded me that we actually are also part of a larger body of Christ here in Marin. Marin County has these groupings of small churches, but there's many of us and we together are the testimony of Christ as well. And one of our colleagues, Reed Hankins, Reed Hankins excuse me, from Trinity Presbyterian Church sits on the commission of, of Marin County Reopens and he represents the churches in the religious community. And for four months, he has interacted with those bureaucrats working and trying to find a way to make the church work in that system. And for me to jump out on the ledge, right, makes him look bad, makes his testimony look bad. He is working, he is representing Christ and we are part of that community. And so we have an opportunity as the body of Christ to discern as Marin Covenant Church and together with these other churches, how best to honor Christ, to be both loyal and subversive. And if every county opens up except for Marin, this grouping of, of pastors and Christian leaders are gonna wrestle with what is the way forward in doing that? And we are gonna do it in a way that honors God and in a way that moves people towards Christ. We want to be the fragrance of Christ. We have so many opportunities to know and love Jesus. We have so many opportunities to share the love of Jesus. And right now, some of those have been limited. And even if the government said, hey, you could open up fully, we probably wouldn't open up fully because the truth is we want us to be safe and we want you to live. And so that is just one example of me right now trying to wrestle with these realities that we are exiles trying to honor the King, trying to submit to one another and do that in a way that honors God in a way that moves people towards Christ that is loyal to the things that I can be loyal to and is subversive to the things that I must uh, be pushed back and not be subversive to. Ugh. All right, thankfully I'm out of time. So let me pray for us in our time and, uh, and the worship team and Benzie is going to help us proclaim and remember our true hope, which is in Jesus Christ, our King. So let me pray for us and then Ben, take it away, okay? Heavenly Father and our gracious God, you are our Lord, you are our Savior, you are our King, you are the one that we long to honor, we are, you are the one that we submit to, you are the one that we long to give all honor and glory. And we live in a truly complex moment in a complex county, and we don't really have the pathway forward. And so we ask humbly, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and that you would lead us in a way that would honor you, that would move people towards you, that would be a testimony to this county of the goodness and grace of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray God that you would give us the fortitude and courage to go wherever you lead as we long to give you all the honor and glory both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.